Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. As we record this, it is April Fool's. Have you seen any good jokes today? I have not. I try to avoid them, though I did see somebody commenting on Twitter that April Fool- April 1st is the only day in which people actually try to parse what's real and what's not real on the internet. <laughs> that is a very astute observation. The thing I saw that I liked was there's a parody Final Fantasy XIV account that canceled all Catboys, so there's no more Catboys in the game. Not allowed. What? Illegal. We're going to Catboy Heaven instead of Catboy Hell? They all went, well, I don't know. Cats have nine lives. I'm not sure about the Makote, but uh, I guess we are <laughs> going to Catboy Heaven, which means, well, I'm canceled because all I have is my Catboy and I have a cat girl on an alternate server. Cancel culture strikes again. <laughs> Cancel culture has come for the Catboys. <laughs> is no one safe? Is no one is safe? Well, Nadia, this is episode 301. Yes, we are on a brand new journey, and I'm sure great things are coming. I, I should make that sound more enthusiastic. Great things are coming. We should cue ahead on our way at this point, because that's where the podcast is going. Ahead on our way to episode 400. Through the mists and over the hills. And then I'll have to come up with some new topic for our 400th episode. And, you know, the other 99 episodes as well. <laughs> yeah, those are important as well. We can't just sit here and talk about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure? I mean, we are Canadian and Minnesotan. We're very good at that. Well, it's, it's actually today is quite, it's very sunny, but it's very cold and windy and I'm, I'm angry about that. It's like seven, sunny and 75 here. It's great. Oh, California. Nice. California. There you go. Well, for our 301st episode, Nadia, we will be reviewing Monster Hunter Rise, which is now available on Nintendo Switch. We will have special guests, Mike Minotti of GamesBeat, and Steven Strom of Fanbyte on the show to talk about Monster Hunter Rise with us. Nadia and I have been playing it as well, so it's going to be exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this show because I am playing Monster Hunter Rise, and so far I've probably stuck to it more than I've stuck to any other Monster Hunter game, so hooray. If you enjoy the show, can I recommend that you go and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice? It helps improve the visibility of the show and... Also, just generally brightens our day. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And if you'd follow my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash TV, we do monthly get-togethers. And we also live recorded episode 300. So you can go watch the VOD of that over on the Twitch channel if you don't want to listen to it in audio format for some reason. <laughs> they both work pretty well, I think. But the visual was... A nice accompaniment, I suppose. A lot of people complimented my shirt. And your shirt was very good too, Cap. You were wearing a jacket, so I don't think people saw it. Uh, well, I mean, yours was Kane Highwind. What can I say? I mean, nobody can top Kane. I was about to make a yowie joke, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Okay, I'll say it. Cecil can top him. There, I've done it. It is finished. I like that. <laughs> I like that you just kept escalating. I, I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> I just can't help myself. I'll twist my arm. I'll tell I'll tell the Yaoi joke. <laughs> uh, I'm five years old. If you want more Yaoi jokes like that, can I recommend that you subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, and it will keep us alive and happy and telling jokes about Yaoi. So, subscribe to the imaginary 500 tier, and you'll get, an, uh, you get a new one for me every day. Oh my gosh. I've been looking for new ideas for tiers. <laughs> there you go. For every... Subscriber, we get at the $500 level. Nadia will tell another Yowie joke during an episode. 
there you are. So get to it. Let's, let's get that money in. Get it rolling in already. In the meantime, we have a lot of great exclusive content. We have a 35th anniversary tribute to The Legend of Zelda. We have lots of Pantheon of the Blood God episodes at the $10 level. We just got done recording our System Shock 2 episode, Nadia. That was a really nice episode. We had uh, Jeff Green in and we he has, like, of course, a ton of expertise. He used to write a column about PC games. And uh, he, did he write his column about System Shock 2 in particular? I can't remember. No, but he did extol the virtues of the Palm Pilot as the gaming platform of the future <laughs> at one point. God bless. We all, As you said, we have all written those articles we kind of look back on and regret. Uh, I have several. God, I think every article I've written, I look back on and regret. I think that he was doing it tongue-in-cheek. Um, and if he wasn't doing it tongue-in-cheek, then I can let him off the hook by saying that it was tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> there you go. Actually, um, I'm a kind of a fan of lazy game reviews and he does a lot of weird reviews of stuff of like palm pilot games and whatnot and those are always fun to look at if you want uh, someone new to look up to on uh, youtube we have some really cool exclusive content coming up in april they include an exclusive interview with brian Mitsoda, in which we go from all the way from his days at black isle studios through his time at troika through Obsidian, Alpha Protocol, many amazing RPGs. It was a great conversation. We talked about the future of RPGs, the nitty-gritty of RPG design. It was a, it's a great conversation, and that will be out in mid-April. I'm also having Emily Vanderwerf back. We're in the middle of watching Neon Genesis Evangelion, Nadia, and I think that when we wrap that up, we're just going to sit down and do a podcast about it, because why the heck not? <laughs> What the heck not indeed. I feel like there's always something to say about Evangelion, and there always will be. I was, I think, halfway through the series, and I got to get back to it. I can't remember why I stopped, but I do know I started picking up like other animes. Like, I picked up Beastars. I finished that. Then I picked up the first season of uh, Promise Neverland, which was fantastic. And then I hear the second season is terrible, so I picked up the manga instead. I should probably get back to that, sh to, to Evangelion. Why did you never watch Evangelion? It was right there, squarely in the moment that you were coming up and getting an anime. Well, actually, I don't think Canada had it. Canada had a really weird situation with anime where we didn't get a lot of it for a very long time, except like, I think, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and like the real easy ones. But there wasn't, didn't really have a, an Adult Swim equivalent, so we didn't really have that. You couldn't buy it on VHS over whatever the equivalent of Suncoast Video was? Probably HMV. And do you know how expensive it was? <laughs> Heck I yeah, mean, I did. I spent so much money on those VHS tapes. It was like $30 for two episodes. Yeah, double that easily. And that's and the selection was terrible. I was actually just talking to a friend of mine about that. How in in Canada, anime was extremely expensive, extremely inaccessible, for a very long time, and it was actually, it, it kind of sucked, because yes, I do know how a lot of Americans got to experience Adult Swim growing up, and that was their entryway into, like, Dragon Ball Z, Evangelion, Cowboy Bebop. It had a lot of great stuff. I always like going to the States and watching uh, Adult Swim. Well, Nadia, we will get to the news in just a second, but before we do so, the Blood God wants to know, what RPG are you gracing him with this week? Well, I'm playing Monster Hunter, as we will get into, and it's not an RPG, but I've been playing Cave Story still, and God, I forgot how hard the Sandhill Zone is until, um, if you don't have the machine gun. That's a, it's a real bitch, I have to say. It's been a long time since I played Cave Story, so I don't remember it extremely well. 
basically, it's very clever the way it's designed in that early in the game, uh, when you first meet Curly Brace, who I'm sure you're familiar with because fandom, she offers to trade her your regular gun for her machine gun, which is rapid fire and can help you kind of float and reach high platforms. And if you refuse her, much later down the line, you can trade your gun in for a really powerful gun, the spur. But if you take the machine gun, it's so much easier to navigate the level that you go through after that, which is the sand zone. And it's just full of like really nasty monsters, really hard jumps. And trying to do all that with the weaponry that you have without that that the machine gun boost it is quite difficult. But I got through it. Stupid sand zone. <laughs> well, Nadia, I have been playing Monster Hunter Rise. Obviously, we'll be talking about that in the next segment. But I reached basically the end game of Bravely Default 2. Like, I actually had the credits roll. Oh, congratulations. After the credits roll, the game goes, JK, you want to see the real ending now? <laughs> it's like, you could stop now. You could stop now. Or you could play for another 30 hours. RPGs love doing that, that's for sure. Uh, Dragon Quest Eleven did that quite expertly. I posted an animated GIF uh, from the episode of Futurama where they're hearing about Snoo Snoo and being like, ah, uh, ah, uh. yes, but no. <laughs> yes, I am very much yes, but no when it comes to Bravely Default 2 because it's like, guess what? You just unlocked another some more levels for the jobs so you can keep grinding all of the jobs now. I'm like, that's awesome. Oh, God, no. So are you going to keep going or are you just kind of like, I, I really think, want to right. is the thing. But Monster Hunter Rise is out now. Yes. So I sort of feel like maybe I have to stick with the original ending. I don't know. Maybe. Of course, we, all, we always fool ourselves when we say we'll go back to it, but maybe go back to it. I've also been working on a really rough project of late that I can't talk about, but it's been sucking up a huge amount of my playtime while also making me extremely miserable. I'm sorry. But the good news is that I have been able to watch a lot of For All Mankind while playing it. <laughs> Well, that's good, I guess. But um, yeah, I'm sorry about the project making you miserable. It did give me an excuse to watch Ted Lasso, which is an amazing sports show. Oh, there you go. I wouldn't know, but I'm glad. It's so wholesome, Nadia. Even if you don't like soccer, I recommend it. Hmm. It sounds like kind of like how there's like our wholesome soccer RPGs, too. Oh, I want more wholesome soccer RPGs. Give them to me. Well, level five's not doing it, so... Yeah, I was watching Game Center CX just recently, and they had Captain Tsubasa on, and all I could think was, God, I want a, a real soccer RPG like that game, that in that vein. Like, we've had Blitzball, we had kind of the crappy, it's sort of like FIFA, but it's also sort of like the original NES game. I want a soccer game that's more like a tactics RPG than I do an actual action game. That would be a lot of fun. That would be kind of cool, just moving everyone across a soccer field square by square. It's no slower than a real soccer game. I mean, ha ha ha. No, <laughs> I, went, I went for the jab there. You're not actually running them square by square. It's more that they have encounters, and ah. you can decide if you want to dodge or if you want to uh, dribble past them or something like that. And if you have a high enough guts rating, that will determine whether your move is successful, and you're trying to get the ball up to the net and then take a shot. And if you've been able to keep accruing guts, that will have a large impact on whether or not your shot goes in. <laughs> and they just use a lot of kind of animated shots that really give it a flavor of a sports anime. It was, it was quite a good looking game for the, uh, the days of the NES. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. Something like that. It is pretty cool. Speaking of games that look really good, you noted that Record of Lodos War is out on Steam. I was uh, really into that game when I was playing it in the beta. It is admittedly basically a reskin of Symphony of the Night, but That's okay. it's different enough in some ways, and it's really pretty that I can recommend it. I really enjoy Record of Lodos War. Yeah, I downloaded it on Steam. I think my computer can handle it. I will play it on console but i just want to really give it a try see how it is because yeah castlevania even though there's like 10 billion metroidvanias out now it just feels like castlevania's style metroidvanias ironically just feel kind of different from others these days i find the metroidvania genre to be a little stale myself it's yeah that's why i kind of i I feel like i want to go back to the first symphony of the night i just feel like that's Still the best, and I I return to that, and every time I return to it, it just feels so good. But I, I I've mentioned before how I don't necessarily like how Metroidvanias these days are really focused on tormenting the player and and ripping on pieces. It's just not my style of gaming. Yeah, it doesn't feel like the genre has moved forward appreciably. And even a game like Hollow Knight, which a lot of people laud for its outstanding controls and actually pretty strong story, isn't that far removed from say Super Metroid. Yeah, and that's not so bad. I I do consider it's bigger, them good. It's prettier. Yeah, I do consider them great comfort games. But there's a reason why I think the originals are still regarded as the best. Like it's really hard to top Symphony and Super Metroid, and they haven't really been improved upon. Though a lot of people would say that we've been in the golden age of Metroidvanias between Hollow Knight and Ori and the Blind Forest and Axiom Verge and all of those games. So different opinions, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, if you pay for a good Metroidvania, you're getting a good game. Sure are. Well, Nadia, let's talk about the RPG news. First item of business, interesting little indie RPG has been announced, Nadia. It's called Astria Ascending, and it has a bunch of Final Fantasy people involved, including it's being written by Kazushige Nojima who was the writer on Final Fantasy VII Remake, among many other games, Kingdom Hearts as well, I believe. And Nojima, that that just tells me that Astria Ascending is going to have a crazy effing game because Nojima likes the uh, psychological mind fucks. Yeah, he sure does. And I was going to say, well, Final Fantasy VII Remake wasn't like that then. Oh, right. Okay, the ending. (laughs) Remember the ending, Nadia? I sure do. Yes, that will certainly be something he inserts into the game, I'm sure. Even though, frankly, it looks like a really fun, really good 2D RPG. is something we haven't had in a while, except for Indivisible. And of course, it seems to be based on Valkyrie Profile, which I'm sure you're okay with. Maybe. I would say that it bears some resemblance to Valkyrie Profile and that it's side to side True. and might even include some uh, some platforming elements and everything. As for the actual battle system, it looks less action-oriented than Valkyrie Profile mm. and more focused on the actual turn base. It reminds me of an RPG that came out on PC a few years ago. It's name is escaping me but i do believe that there's a giant robot in it (laughs) It has that a little bit of that look (laughs) a little bit of a painterly a little bit of a painterly look to it the giant robot rpg that was also 2d that's what it was called people said that it was actually a pretty good game uh came out on multiple different platforms but including i believe the nintendo switch but uh it was released in 2017 (laughs) yeah well probably got lost in the mire like everything else unfortunately oh it has its fans but 
Anyway, uh, also involved as Final Fantasy XII, Satoshi Sakamoto, who was the composer on that game. And Ash and I disagreed on the relative merits of Final Fantasy XII's soundtrack back during our great Final Fantasy ranking. But I really liked the cinematic quality of the score in Final Fantasy XII. It has some really memorable tracks. And so I think that that's a, that's a great team to have on your RPG, your, your Japanese RPG. Yeah, I'm not complaining about it. I'm curious to see where this goes. Apparently it comes out sometime this year, hopefully. Hard to, I find a lot of developers aren't really putting months on their games in terms of release dates. And I don't blame them because, of course, COVID's slowing everything down still. So we'll get it when we get it. It's going to be on pretty much everything as well, including Switch, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. And it will be on Game Pass, so we'll just be able to play it. Yeah, that's going to be really great. Gotta say, as somebody who recently lost her Steam Press account, I know woes me for uh, part, <laughs> first world problems and all that. Uh, Xbox Game Pass is amazing for being able to just sample games and see if they're worth sticking around with. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, it's one of the best uh, inventions of this generation. Although, even though we are feeding into the whole digital monster and things are disappearing because of it, but it feels so good for now. On the Western side, Cyberpunk is once again in the news, but this time at least the news is good. A massive patch landed this week. Still tons of problems. But as Nadia says, I love the footage of Vinny from Vinesauce summoning all of his cars only to have them start blowing up. <laughs> but it's a start, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's um, on Twitter and I think on Polygon embedded the, the video as well. Vinny from Vinesauce uh, was testing out the game to see how things are going now. And he has a bunch of cars. And of course, he's summoning them all. First of all, one of the cars uh, didn't even form. It just turned into a bunch of parts and zoomed past him. So he's like, okay, well, still have that problem going on. But then he goes to where his cars are. They're all parked. And they're parked on top of each other because, of course, they are. And they start blowing up. And he's like, oh, yep, this is actually better than it was. I think we're only about a year away from people coming out and saying, you know what game is underrated? Cyberpunk 2077. We're already at that stage. I mean, mm. according to the tittle-tattle, the improvements, there are a lot, but there's still oh, so much to improve. And of course, they've delayed the multiplayer aspect of the game. Of course they have. Uh, that's overdue. I think they're just putting everything they have into making the game playable got a good luck because they, they still got a lot of work ahead of them the problem is it was fine on pc and i'm okay not fine but not as bad as a lot of people like a lot of people are fixated on how it performed on the playstation 4 yes the base xbox one and on the flip side while very buggy it was also quite gorgeous on the pc it was just in many ways ahead of its time I think, in terms of graphics. And it needed to be optimized for next-gen consoles and certainly has its flaws in terms of the campaign, in terms of storytelling and that kind of thing, in terms of some of the quests. But I think that at the top end, Cyberpunk 2077 shows at least some of its uh, relative merits. And I think that will they will continue to come out as CD Projekt continues to improve on the game. I played like several hours uh, myself and I was mostly enjoying what I was uh, experiencing at the time. I'm really looking forward to them, say, putting out a big expansion pack that really tells a, a comprehensive and unique story. 
I think mm-hmm. that Witcher 3 really became what it is today because of his expansion packs. And I kind of expect the same thing to be the case for Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah, I can accept that. I can accept that happening. I just wonder what will happen to the console versions, especially PS4 slash uh, Xbox Series X, because that's going to be, I just feel like those are going to be falling by the wayside before long because there's the PS5 and the Xbox Series X right there. I just don't know if CD Projekt Red is going to outright say, look, we can't do this with the PS4. We're really, really sorry. Or if they're just going to kind of quietly let it slide as they kind of shuffle over to the PS5. It's worth noting that it was only about a week ago that the lead designer of Cyberpunk 2077, uh, Andrzej Zawadzki, left CD Projekt. So and you could you could count some of that as just the normal turnover from a project being well, I guess complete sort of, and a mm-hmm. developer wanting to leave. But uh, that's a pretty significant departure, I will say. At this stage in the game, yeah. Um, if everything was in like under control, I'd say, sure, whatever, he's got to move on, do his own thing. But it feels like they could probably still really use his leadership right now, and they don't have it. Yeah, you don't really want to lose such a senior figure from a project that you ostensibly want to keep going for quite a while. I don't recall. Did they bring in a replacement yet that anyone knows of i assume so i don't know but yeah <laughs> but, but we don't know who or what in other news the bravely default soundtracks are now on spotify and nadia's appended a note holy shit listen to these i mean bravely defaults two soundtrack is very very good but holy crap the first soundtrack is just absolutely like transcendent one of my favorite all-time video games songs is silence of the forest and it's just when I want to relax, I, I, I listen to that. It just still gives me chills to this day. I really enjoyed the music from Bravely Default, too. Yeah, uh, that's uh, Rezo, I think, is the name of the composer. I think he's also uh, part of a band. That's why he didn't do music for Bravely Default Second, the second layer, because he was uh, touring or something like that. So they recycled a lot of the music from the first game. It's just a really expansive soundtrack with a lot of different sounds to it, and it always knows how to pump you up. Killer boss battle themes. Oh, yeah. just They always had fantastic boss battle themes. If you haven't listened to... uh, Wicked Flight from the first game, by all means, listen to it. It's just fantastic. Finally, Monster Hunter Rise reaches 4 million copies shipped in about two seconds, according to Nadia. (laughs) Physical sales are down, but that's because physical sales are always down. Who's buying physical anymore? The answer is Cat. I just bought Persona 5 Royal on a Steelbook uh, edition, so at least one person's buying physical. Yeah, I like like packaging, Nadia. (laughs) I like fancy (laughs) art on the cover of my game. And especially for games that I really like and kind of want to feel like are a permanent addition to my home. So, and I've been meaning to play Persona 5 Royal anyway, so I picked it up. I feel like if you're going to get any sort of, if you're going to spend the, the time 
sorry, if you're going to spend the space and the money on a physical edition of a game, you would want it to be as stylish as uh, the Royal. So you did a good job. As for Monster Hunter Rise, I think that it, it sounds like it's not quite rising to the level of Monster Hunter World in terms of sales, uh, maybe because, which is kind of surprising to me in some ways, because Monster Hunter World or Monster Hunter Rise is on a platform with such a good install base. Mm -hmm. But maybe people were sampling Monster Hunter World for the first time and were like, okay, I'm good. I don't need to keep playing Monster Hunter Rise and like moved off. Or maybe it's because people are like, well, I really want to be able to... This is the kind of game that I don't want to play on a handheld. I want to play it on a big screen. That would be an interesting... Uh, I, I could see people in the West saying that. Of course, in Japan, they'd be like, well, what the hell? This, this is where it belongs. It's back when Monster Hunter has come home. Maybe part of the problem is... I mean, it's not exactly a problem. It's, they've still sold millions. But the local player aspect is supposed to be a big thing. And of course, with COVID ramp, rampaging around, it's uh, a little harder to do that. And in the West, maybe you're right. Maybe people don't take it quite as seriously because it's not on a massive, uh, beautiful-looking platform like the PS4. The Switch has the Switch game definitely looks great, but it's not it's not Monster Hunter World. Still very successful, though. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, not surprised. Speaking of Monster Hunter Rise, now we are going to invite Steve and Mike onto the show to talk about it. So, don't go away. <laughs> Hey RPG fans, it's your friend Cat Bailey, host of Axe of the Blood God, and I'm here to tell you about our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. Every single month we have exclusive RPG goodness for all of our listeners, including tributes to classic games, watches of shows like The Witcher, and of course our Pantheon of the Blood God, in which we explore classic RPGs from Final Fantasy VIII to Skies of Arcadia. Here's a glimpse of what you have been missing. The last time that I, I played System Shock 2, I was I marveled at the fact that, you know, in my mind, it was like a, a big story with like a you know big plot plot arc, which it does have. You have multiple characters that you get to know. Uh, you get to know their personalities. But when you're you play the game, it's just you. You know, you are alone. Mm -hmm. Um and that aloneness, of course, was part of the experience. And yet uh, they did so much so effectively with audio logs, which of course can just be kind of a drag and kind of a a way to sort of shove your story off to the side without doing anything. But somehow folks at Irrational were able to make it work. I think one of the reasons it works, in my opinion, is because you're still always, alongside the audio logs, you're still following that voice that's always kind of goading you along and, and stringing you and telling you where to go. True. So they're kind of like extensions of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Using sound design, and he is not a big fan, seemingly, of cutscenes that take away from the character. Like a lot of games at this time would go into in engine cutscenes where it would move into a little bit letterbox format and the camera is panning across the character. More often than not in System Shock 2, it remains in first person point of view as the story is happening or you'll be running down a hallway while Shodan is talking to you. One of the few examples I can think of where that is not happening, for example, is at the end, interestingly enough, where it becomes more traditional in that kind of way. And I, I think that's 
one of the kind of the weaker elements, even if it is also kind of hilarious. <laughs> that was a special look at some of our patron exclusive content. If you want to hear more, head on over to patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. Now, back to the episode. Okay, I'm here with two special guests. First, we have our returning friend from GameSpeed. It's Mike Minotti. Hello. And joining us for the first time, he's from Fanbyte and the host of 99 Potions, another RPG podcast. Oh my God, it is Steven Strom. Hello, thanks for having me on on this one, Kat. And thanks for being on 99 Potions before. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We were talking about Bravely Default 2. You are not as much of a fan of it. I was quite a bit more of a fan of it. Uh, did you did your opinion ever turn on Bravely Default 2, or are you still not as much of a fan of it? No, I uh, kept thinking that I would have the time to go back to it and ended up not as I ended up playing a lot more of the game that we're here to talk about today. But uh, in <laughs> the other game that I ended up going back and playing to fix my uh, JRPG itch was uh Etrian Odyssey after we had that long Ooh. conversation about it. Such a good and, game. Yeah. I went back and played the uh post game of Etrian Odyssey five and now I'm playing Nexus and uh it's all sucking me in again. Yeah, I think every other aside on ninety nine potions was about how much Steven liked Etrian Odyssey, which I respect, honestly. Etrian mm-hmm. Odyssey is an amazing game. Closest I ever got to that series was Persona Q. Mm. Which is also good. That's all a good game. I think Etrian Odyssey is a little more hands-on with the mapping, though. Yeah, see, I'm already thought there's too much mapping in Persona Q, so I don't know. Maybe I need to just stay away. Oh, interesting. It's a lot of mapping. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever played um, Shin Megami Tensei: Strange Journey. That has like an auto map that's really nice. Yes, yes, I did play Strange Journey uh, a bit, so yeah, I know what you mean. Etrian Odyssey basically has an auto map as well. You can just automate a lot of those uh, features. Yeah, not by default, but yeah, you can absolutely do that. Which Which I absolutely did because I'm not as much of like a detail-oriented nerd as like, say, my friend Jeremy Parrish, who (laughs) will find every single little thing to possibly map. I'm just like, I I can't do this. I'm just going to turn on auto-mapping so I know where I'm going so I don't go crazy uh, drawing the little lines around my map. It feels good, though. It does does feel feel good. good. But we're not here to talk about Etrian Odyssey. We're here to talk about Monster Hunter Rise, which is now available on the Nintendo Switch. And we can argue all the live long day about whether Monster Hunter Rise is actually an RPG. I don't really care. Ultimately, what really matters is that I like Monster Hunter. Our audience likes Monster Hunter. And frankly, it's close enough to an RPG. It has so, it has so many menus. It has to be an RPG. There you I go. know. You spent, I mean, the point of the Monster Hunter Rise is that you are developing your character. The point is to gather loot, craft There's new armor, get new stuff. It has a loot loop for sure. So Monster Hunter. And it's very deep in terms of stats and elemental right. effects and builds and everything. So certainly... If it's not an RPG, it's very grounded in that particular It's an RPG with all the progression tied to your equipment instead of just your character. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. It's just externalized, yeah. 
So I've been playing Monster Hunter Rise, and I've been really enjoying it, but Steven and Mike, you two actually reviewed it, so I am curious for your opinions. I'll start with you, Steven. What is your history with the series, and what do you think of Monster Hunter Rise? Oh, in terms of my like actual history with the games, like it goes all the way back to the PlayStation 2 era, playing the game, like the very first one with my uh, friend Jacob back in elementary school and uh, watching him like hunt dinosaurs. And I had no idea what I was looking at. And he was like cooking a bunch of meat and some lady would come mm. in and say, so tasty. And I was like, what is, what is this? <laughs> I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, and eventually wound up uh, getting into it again on uh, the PSP with Monster Hunter Freedom Unite and Monster Hunter 4 and Generations and finally put a few thousand hours into Monster Hunter World across both the PlayStation and the PC to the point where right before this podcast, I was on uh, Nexus Mods looking up uh, different custom-made layered armor for my character in World because I ended up getting back into it a good chunk after uh, sort of voraciously playing through Monster Hunter Rise, which probably tells you that I like this game a lot. Uh, as it turns out, I have uh, played a good deal of it and I have a, a couple of pretty glaring issues with it. But I think the core of what they've built here uh, is really damn good. Mike, how about you? Yeah, not as much as Steven, really. I didn't know too much about the series until World. I think I played what the 3DS one was at uh, with Generations or Ultimate uh, for, for a little bit. Uh, but World was the one that I really enjoyed for the first time i think just that presentation boost the big thing for me too is once the maps were like one big map and not kind of sectioned off like they were on mm -hmm. in the psp mm -hmm. and ds game like that helped quite a lot uh but you know even, even with world i wasn't like some mega fan i liked it a lot uh i didn't quite like really get into it beyond my sort of review period where i had a lot of fun uh rise though and i'm i'm you know, reviewed it, played it a ton, and I am still playing quite a bit. I got my, my brothers into it. So, like, this is definitely already the Monster Hunter I've played the most. I'm kind of with you, Mike. I started in on Monster Hunter with Monster Hunter World, but I loved Monster Hunter World. I put hundreds of hours into that game. I got back into it in a big way around the beginning of the year, I think. I was playing all the way... I played all the way through the base game again and got back into... Uh, Iceborne playing with the greatsword. I'm playing Monster Hunter Rise Ooh. now, and it's definitely different in some ways, similar in others. I think that it's a different flavor of Monster Hunter in many ways. Um, I think that I sort of enjoy Monster Hunter World a little bit more because I feel the limitations of the platform in Rise, but I think there's some really clever ideas like the wire bug. Uh, I think. That's maybe the reason why I personally so far like Rise a little bit more than World, which was the first Monster Hunter game I played. I feel like it moves more quickly, and the wire bug is a big reason for that. I'm still not used to using the wire bug to trap monsters or anything like that. I'm still very, uh, I'm still quite new into the game. I'm taking my time, you know, kind of learning how to move, how to use my weapons. I'm for now I'm using the dual blades, and uh, but traveling and and running up walls with the help of the wire bug, and not to mention getting to actually run fast with the help of your uh, Palamute. I think that makes a big difference for me. Nadia, I was going to ask, what is, your what is your experience with the series? I think World was the first one I really got into. I know that I did try the, um, the one on the Wii. I think that was Monster Hunter Try. And I just yes. uh, could not really get into it. World, I got into... I didn't put like tons and tons of hours into it, but I did have a lot of fun with it. But I feel like I'm really more into Rise because it feels more accessible, even more accessible than World. 
even though there are still a lot of screens that tell you what to do and you're just like, yeah, yeah, get out of the way. Oh no, I didn't read that. Now I'm screwed. So, <laughs> but I remember enough from world that I can pick up on rise quite easily and appreciate how certain things just feel easier, feel a little more fluid. Um, I feel like I actually have a chance against the monsters, the big monsters, even though I'm, they can still kill me quite easily if I'm not careful. There's just a certain balance and speed to Rise that I feel like was not there in World. Certainly wasn't there in Try. And also the handheld format helps a lot for keeping me involved in the game. I'm going to go around the table and ask, what is everybody using? So Nadia said that she was using the dual blades. I've been yes. using the Switch Blat, Switch Axe. Sorry. What have you been using, Mike? I've been using the Greatsword. And I maybe that's part of why I'm liking this more than World is... I feel like the wire bugs help with the greatsword so much because it's such a slow lumbering weapon. Mm. Having just the extra mobility with 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 the with the bugs there and being able to do some kind of extra dodging and some aerial attacks that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise, that just makes this feel so much better for me. How about you, Steven? I kind of touch a little bit of everything in most of these games, but I uh, at the end of the day am pretty much a hunting horn main. Um, and it's gotten some really wild changes in Monster Hunter Rise that are just a ton of fun. Um, I think there has definitely been a, uh, if you played Monster Hunter World, there are these NPCs that would sometimes tell you which weapons were the least popular or most popular. Um, the hunting horn is the least popular, uh, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. And I think there's been this kind of like power escalation from every Monster Hunter game, um, since like three, uh, where they've been trying to get more and more people to use the hunting horn. And in this one, they've just like, fuck it. It's just this <laughs> big <laughs> swinging, flying, whirling dervish that also plays rock and roll music while you beat the crap out of a monster's head. Like, go nuts. Uh, I think it's worked because I see a decent amount of those online now, and I'm always happy when I'm playing with one. I'm like, yeah, give me those buffs. Play yeah. those songs. Oh, it feels I good to know, give them. I didn't know that happened, so it's kind of like a, a bard slash warrior weapon simultaneously. Get Like, the songs give buffs? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. neat. That's it's a really that's unique nuts. weapon. It's the last new weapon, too, in this series, right? I believe the charge blade and the insect glaive were both uh, added in four? Is that right? Okay. You would know better than me. Am I incorrect? Like, I feel like since I'm still new at this game, I'm a little, I'm very clumsy at it. To use the wire bug around enemies, like, do you have to sheath your weapon before you can do that? I think it depends on the weapon. Ah, uh, yeah, you definitely do that with the dual blades. Yeah, so, like, m one of my best attacks with, with the wire bugs is I do have my weapon out, and I'm always sheathing, unsheathing with the greatsword because I have no mobility when mm -hmm. it's out. But I can use, um, this one attack that will dash me forward immediately unsheath my weapon and give me a bit of a, a a buff at the same time so it's super useful if i want to make some distance and also like run out of it immediately because my weapon's now already sheathed so i could use a potion or do whatever i need to do before getting back into battle okay so that could be a balance thing because with the dual blades you still are quite mobile and i like to target an enemy and roll everywhere and at least as much as my stamina will let me. So I feel like I don't quite need the wire bug as much as you would. That's an mm -hmm. interesting point there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, the wire one of the most interesting aspects of the wire bug that I mentioned a good deal of in my review is the wire fall, which is a feature that they don't explain super well, but now my muscle memory has been completely rewritten to not <laughs> be able to play these games without it anymore. Um, because it's a thing where 
traditionally in Monster Hunter games, if you get hit really hard, you'll fly backwards and you'll land on your back. And maybe your character has like a wake up animation like a fighting game. But during that whole animation, you are invincible to almost mm-hmm. everything. Um, but now if you're in midair like that and then hold the left trigger and then press B, your character will immediately cancel out of the knockback and just like, get right back into the fight. But it also cancels out the iframes. So you can get mm. yourself into some real trouble with it if you're not careful. But at the same time, speeds up combat like wild. It's, it's really, really interesting and really fun. Yeah, that's another thing that makes the great sword feel faster in this game. There's so much less downtime because, I mean, that is something that I picked on, picked up on very early. Like, oh, I can use this and get right back into the fight after I get knocked down. So I could, you know, take a few hits if I'm comfortable with it. And I don't have to worry about missing out on all this damage. Mm-hmm. I love using the great sword and I really wanted to use it again in Monster Hunter Rise. But I have a standing policy that I always try and use a new weapon every single time. Switch mm. axes fairly tricky because the way it works if you're not familiar is you start out in axe form and you try to build up make sure your gauge is built up to a certain level and then you can switch to sword on the fly by playing pushing the shoulder button zr in order to jump over to sword and that's where you do most of your damage and you're doing your various combos and then you're building up another gauge with the actual sword to be able to get to the top level. But once you do, you can execute a particular combo by pressing, I think, X and uh, whatever the other button is, not B or A, whatever. X and A, (laughs) I think. Um, Yeah. To be able to climb on the monster and do crazy amounts of damage to them. But it's been very much like patting my head and rubbing my stomach kind of situation because I'm (laughs) having to... I haven't built up the muscle memory with the weapon yet, at this point, so right. I'm, I'm starting to get there, but and it's starting to feel pretty good. But initially, it's a, a fairly complex weapon, so it looks super cool though. Like the actual mm. switching that it does, that those animations are awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like such a scrub just using the the dual blades, but I got oh, to somewhere. The, <laughs> I'm using the great. I'm using the cover like child of of the weapons, right? Like I'm used. It's. I almost kind of feel like I'm being a bit basic by doing the great sword, but it just feels so good. And if I'm, if I'm playing Monster Hunter, like, and I, like I said at this point, I'm not like a super super familiar with the series, right? So I, I still just like using that great sword, and I don't super feel need to change yet. I tried bow for a bit, wasn't really feeling that. I messed around with gun lance a little bit. That seems neat. That might be like my second weapon, but I'm still pretty happy with great sword. My first ever weapon in Monster Hunter was long sword. And I think that's one one that noobs pick a lot because it looks cool, but is very hard to use. Like, I think it has a very high skill ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I really want to pick up the great the longsword again for Monster Hunter Rise, not the least because apparently Quick Sheath has been greatly improved and everything. But the impression I get is, once again, it's a very technical weapon. And if you don't abuse the invincibility frames, something fierce, you're going to really struggle with the longsword. Yeah, I think that's the the truth of basically every weapon in this game. Like so many people will say one thing or the other about how complicated or too easy a weapon is. But a lot of the weapons are really, really like have that really high skill ceiling, even if sometimes they have a low skill floor. Um, And the greatsword is like such a good example of that where, yeah, it's technically a very basic weapon in that what it does is really, really big numbers. But you have to have such an intimate knowledge of monster animations to Mm -hmm. use it properly. Um, that like to actually master the greatsword, you have to be really good at the game. 
So we touched on this a little bit in our pre, uh, like throughout our discussion, but the the wire bug. So some of the things that it can do is you can tie an enemy down to the ground and then just hit on them, hit them a whole lot. Uh, other <laughs> things on these that monsters, you can... they're looking great today. <laughs> that new like, engine. Hey you, I like looking the fine, fur. looking fab, very shiny. <laughs> You can climb on their back and actually have them fight other monsters or run them into a wall. So it's a little bit like the, uh, was it the Clutch Claw or whatever from uh, Monster right. Hunter World Iceborne, mm -hmm. which, by the way, was very OP in a lot of ways. But <laughs> So it feels like they rethought it a little bit to make it a little bit less OP. And then it seems like you, as the game progresses, maybe you unlock additional attacks that are specific to each weapon that incorporate the wire bug is am i right yes silkbind attacks on the switch skills a lot of the switch skills in this game are tied to the silkbind which are like basically these super moves they're a bit reminiscent of hunter arts from monster hunter generations and generations ultimate but they are a lot you can use them a lot more often and uh incorporate them into your combos a lot more fluidly whereas um the other ones were basically like you had to build like an ex meter almost in monster hunter generations whereas in this one it's just on a basic cooldown and the moves will be things like um you can slam your shield into the ground and like tether it to to the ground with the wire bug silk and then when a monster hits you won't get any knockback and you'll be ready to counterattack mm. immediately and if you're using the charge blade that counter will even charge all your vials at once and like reload your weapon basically that sounds really powerful it's so good <laughs> i love it right and these are the attacks that make it so that you can uh mount the the monsters and stuff so it's a good reason why you want to throw them out. Although, like, for me, with the greatsword, sometimes I'm kind of scared to use too many of them because I'm like, oh, I might need to use these things to actually dodge and stuff yeah. like that. Because right. it's like those short cooldowns that you get. That's why it's funny how much stronger you feel when you find that third wire bug in the field. So you have that just like that extra one. It's like, oh, and I can do anything I want. Mm hmm. It's it speaks such volumes to me on this game that I'm coming off of like putting literally thousands of hours into Monster Hunter World and hundreds of hours into previous Monster Hunter games. And, like, the fact that they have this new skill in the game called Wirebug Whisperer, which makes mm -hmm. your wirebugs recharge faster and those well, ones you find in the field last longer. Um, my immediate thought was, when I saw those, like, I'm never going to use that. I'm going to use my old trusty damage skills. It's critical eye and attack boost. Like, give it to me, you know, whatever. And now I'm like, damn... Being able to use a Silkbind attack, like, every 30 seconds faster, like, that is a game changer. Give me all of those, please, actually. Like, that's what I want. It's, like, so indicative of how good these skills are. Another new addition is the Palamute, which yes. is a dog that you can literally ride around on the field and holds a sword in its mouth and is very cute. I named mine Amaterasu. It is an all-white <laughs> pupper. Of that I'm riding around on right now. It has a little scar on its eye. It's adorable. It's a one-eyed pupper. And I just, I one of my absolute favorite things about Monster Hunter is the way that it incorporates the sentient kitty cats. So I love that dogs are getting equal time now as well. As always, more of a dog person anyways. <laughs> I like both for different reasons. I named mine, uh, <laughs> and I, made, I named my Palamute Interceptor. Oh, no, that's the right name. Oh, very good, very good. And I, I oh kind of made him like the color of a Doberman. So. Oh, my gosh. I'm so boring. Good. Mine's just the name of my actual dog, which is, <laughs> which is Penny, a very generic Aww. dog name. That's a cute name for oh, a that's dog. That's a nice name. 
Now my mom named the dog, and then, then when I left, she's like, you're, I thought she was going to keep the dog. She's like, you're taking your dog, aren't you? I'm like, I am. I guess I am. All right. Come on, Vinny. Aww, what kind of dog? A uh, little Havamalt. Oh, really? So just a little white fluff ball. Aw. Oh, wow. Yep. She would not be very good at hunting monsters. No, I think that's like a Havanese Maltese, like, right? The little tiny yes. thing. Yep. Yep. It's a half and half. Which, I mean, both of those are just... Small dog breeds. So you put them together, you get a small dog breed. <laughs> one plus one is one times one is still one. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Steven, what's your name? Yours? Oh, um, I've got a Pelico named Ramba after my own little Ramba cat. And, yeah. Uh, he's adorable, just like he isn't in real life. And uh, my Pelamute is named Chance after the dog that I um, that was you know, quote unquote my dog, but lived at my grandparents' farm when I was a kid. Um, Wait, did you name that dog after the dog from Homeward Bound? Or you bet crazy? I did. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. She looked nothing like uh, that dog at all, but uh, we loved that movie as a, as kids. Um, a good movie. Yeah. Uh, we had another dog named Shadow too to go with it. Ah, that's oh that ooh that part where you thought Shadow wasn't gonna make it at the end. Oh no! Uh, yeah. oh, <laughs> Spoilers. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, I didn't say if he, you think he's not gonna make it, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. It's a Disney movie about animals. The animals aren't gonna die at the end. They'll die. Let me tell you about the fox and the hound real quick. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, no, they're great, and in, and uh, like the old games, like uh, Monster Hunter Generations was the last one that did this, um, you can make as many as you want, basically. Like, yes. You can have dozens, so, you know, if you have more than one pet, you can name them all. I have a, uh, my Palicos, I first named my first one Night Fury, because my cat, my black cat's named Toothless, but I didn't want to name it Palico Toothless, so I just had Night Fury. <laughs> Another good reference. And I have uh, my second Palico named Grahatia. Oh, oh yes! Oh my gosh! Oh, man, I didn't think anything was going to beat Interceptor, but whoo! <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Final Fantasy fourteen reference? That's a Final that's Fantasy fourteen reference. That's like the king that's, of the cat boys right there. That's good uh, stuff. Oh, gosh, I've been leveling up doing so many Crystal Tower runs, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Exarch. <laughs> There's uh, also an owl, but Nadia and I haven't really been able to figure out what the point of the owl is. Yeah, what, what the hell does Not, the owl do? Not much. Te- like, supposedly that's, like, who you're sending out so you can open up your game so other people can join you, basically. And I think um. he's he's the one tracking the monsters, supposedly, yeah. too. Um, you can pet him while you're running around Kimura Village, which some people think, like, might be tied to your luck stat, maybe. So maybe you should Ooh. pet the owl. I don't know if that's true. But, uh, yeah, not, not, the owl doesn't really do too much. But, you know, he's there. You, you name can him. name him. I named him mine you- Captain Snow. You should go to his nest in the uh, the Buddy Plaza mm-hmm. uh, every oh. five months or so because he he has some goodies there that you can gather. I have a dead mouse. I got it just for you. <laughs> <laughs> Not a, was that a red wall re- red wall reference with your owl with Captain Snow? Yeah, I couldn't make it white, but uh, got it. I, I was looking up. Okay, what was the name of the owl from uh, Secret of Nim? But it doesn't didn't have a name apparently. Oh, it was just owl. It was just called the owl. The owl, like just call him Mr. Uh, owl from that one commercial for the the suckers. Fifty year old owl. Uh, no, I just did Captain Snow. Three, I didn't think of anything else. Three. Can't believe uh, uh, nobody went for uh, the Guardians of Gahul in honor of um, Zack Snyder and his great great filmography that everybody's celebrating right now. 
Oh, did he? Was <laughs> that he was in, him. That of was course, him. he was involved in that stupid movie. So was it had that the trailer had that that movie that that song from Three Seconds from Mars. So of course, it was Zach freaking Snyder. Jeez. Uh, you know, you know that we live in the worst timeline when everybody is celebrating the freaking Snyder cut of Justice League. Uh-huh. Man. I have absolutely no opinion on Zack Snyder or, or his movies. Just the fact that I can't watch them because they're so washed out looking. So I just well, ignore them. We're, we're watching the fall of society as we speak, everybody. <laughs> at, least I have, at least I have a, uh, at least I have a palico named Grahatia to see me off. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, oof. That is so good. <laughs> Isn't that great? He's purple. That's the best part. It's <laughs> ah, good. Well, he can get like a gradient, like uh, his cool XR care. Ah. There you go. It's too good. It's too good. I never. I didn't even. I never once thought about being a cat boy until I, Grahatia became cool. I'm like, oh, maybe the cat guys are pretty neat. Well, I have. A, I have a moon cat boy, so of course they're cool. Uh, I'm. I'm a. I'm a little Lalafell. Aww. What do y'all think about the fact that they basically took out the tracking element from Monster Hunter World? I think that that works for a Switch version of the game. Because right, because. One thing I appreciate about this game in general compared to World is that it is just faster paced mm-hmm. all around. And so, the you know, the Palamute does that a bit with its, you can ride on it, you can use your items while you're on it. So when you're kind of going between, like when the monster runs away, you can kind of move now while you're sharpening your weapon and you're refilling your stamina and stuff like that. Like, even the very beginning of the game, right, the onboarding is so much faster here. You don't have that kind of long story sequence. They aren't trying to set up all these characters. There's not as much world building, and I'm fine with that. I just kind of want to get in and fight some fight some monsters. And I think the tr- getting rid of the tracking also helps with that. Like, you get in there, and it's just, yeah, here's where the monster is, or at the very worst, here's where three monsters are. Go see which <laughs> one's the one you're looking for. And it's like, okay, yeah. And I, I did like the tracking of world, I just think that for this game, it, it does kind of work without it. I think it's nice on the Switch. A lot of times I'm maybe doing a hunt or two, kind of squeezing it in when I'm playing the game portably, and maybe I don't necessarily want to go look at animal droppings first. I just want to <laughs> go fight the monster. Um, I was really mixed on it at first, um, and then I gave it some thought because I ended up connecting it in my head to another new system that I was somewhat mixed on, which is the uh, Spira Birds. Uh, which is a weird word oh, to say out right. loud. Yeah. Um, but there are these like um, sort of uh, little friendly birds um, stuffed with uh, with their, their cheeks stuffed with pollen that will buff you on the hunt for as long as you're in the hunt. Um, and then you have to recollect them at the beginning of every new mission. And I ended up realizing at a certain point that at least as f- like maybe this was not their intention, but at least as far as I feel as somebody who is playing the game, that has replaced the whole element of tracking to me and switched it from what feels like a slog at the beginning of any uh, given thing where it's like, OK, got to manage my paintballs or I have to pick up droppings for my scout flies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of doing all that busy work, I get a buff i get something positive instead of having to worry about a deficit and once i started to approach it from that perspective and looking at it as like um now all of the like pre-mission kind of like uh build-up is just me getting stronger instead of me dealing with a bunch of cruft i like it a lot more and it helps that just moving through the world feels really good it's like the wirebug stuff is really great the palamutes as everybody's pointed out are really fun to ride on it's so zippy and fast um i, don't, I never feel like super completely obligated to get every single spear of bird in the entire map so if i just you know take a little bit of a detour here and there as i go um 
I feel like I'm pretty well equipped. And then when the monster changes areas, I grab a few more and so on and so forth. So it feels a lot less like downtime now and uh, just a lot more like there's always something interesting happening. And I like that. I like that a lot. I'm, I think that my feelings on the tracking ties in a little bit to my feelings on the world map. I think the biggest impact that moving to the Nintendo Switch has had is in how I feel about the maps. I just don't think that they're as good as they were in Monster Hunter. Because in Monster Hunter World, the maps were gorgeous. They were just really, really beautiful. They were these multi-level, dense, lush environments that felt like true ecosystems. And I think that in having a tracking element to it, it really felt like I was part of the world. It's funny because we just talked about System Shock 2 and... You know, there's this element of the immersive sim in which they try to remove all of the gamey elements and make you feel like you're grounded in the world as much as possible. And I think that's kind of similar with Monster Hunter World, whereas Monster Hunter Rise, I can see the seams a lot more. And I think that's a lot to do with the fact that they're just on a less powerful platform. You're not going to be able to have as expansive and lush maps as you are in MHW. That's not to say that the maps in MH Rise are bad. There are some really phenomenal environments in there like I, I think the snow level is quite good for example not as good as iceborne but you know i mean it's just a difference in terms of platforms so for me not having the the tracking element to me takes me out of the experience a little bit it doesn't ruin my immersion but i'm i'm feeling it more mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i i know you're coming from cat because that was one thing i really loved about world is how how much of an ecosystem it felt like, how much, like, I'm a, I feel like my, I miss my calling by not, like, being, part, like, in working with animals uh, f- for my career. Mm. And I just love nature. I love animals. I love studying animal behavior. And World really nailed so much of that. And Rise, it still feels like, you know, a wild area and there's, there's monsters and they still feel like they're kind of part of the environment, especially when they start fighting with each other. But it definitely doesn't have that, as you said, lush sort of real immersive sense to it and again as you said that's the fault of the platform and i think capcom knew that and they knew right away like okay we don't have that power to drive this this experience so let's just make sure we're giving people something that's fun to play and won't slow down to like 10 frames per second (laughs) so they, they had to prioritize and i understand why but it still is you're right a bit of a shame they were restricted by the switch pretty obviously but they were pretty smart i think with how they worked on the switch like a lot of the kind of graphical downgrades it's you know it's a 30 frames per second usually instead of anything higher than that and like monsters far away will be almost like 15 frames per second right the foliage isn't as lush and all that stuff but it it sounds like a backhanded compliment to say it looks good for a switch game but it does look really good for a switch game i think i think the decisions that they made were all the right ones in terms of getting this to feel good on that platform I think there's also a positive trade-off to the lack of density in the environments, too, which is that because they have these much more open environments that are maybe not as, like, you know, um, lush to look at, there is a lot more space to then move around in. And maybe that's where the wire bug came from conceptually, is like, well, we've got these big flat open areas where people can, like, really stretch their legs. Let's give them a way to just Spider-Man around uh, a little bit more. And you can just really stunt on monsters as a result now, too, with uh, some of the really advanced wire bug stuff um, as you go along with it. Um, I do agree, uh, Kat, too, that the, the ice area looks really good. I also 
really like the volcanic area. If you stop right as you enter that area and then like look at the caldera of the volcano, and there's just this giant tornado of smoke and ash that is just like perpetually twisting in the skyline. And I thought that looked really great. Um, there's a style to the game that is definitely not as photorealistic as as World, but they do find a lot of good ways to still make it look nice and colorful and even a lot of the times very diegetic in the way that it allows you to pick up these uh new things called hunter helpers which are all these like little tools that you can get and they're all like little animals like odd world strangers wrath yes. live ammo style mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i i appreciate the, the stink mink yes that's uh, a great name. great name great name great concept i do like how they aesthetically set the two games apart too right like world is that kind of that that new world fantasy vibe and this is much more based in you know traditional uh japan kind of aesthetic and it, it looks really nice i, I like the look of the was it hamora or kamora i like the look of the main town quite a bit here the hub is great the first time i stepped into the ta- the hub it's so dense and really attractive and it's a different flavor from mhw if anything mm-hmm. i don't i don't like the whole new world element of monster hunter world because it touches a little too uncomfortably on colonialism for me right mm-hmm. in which they do not address at all yeah, yeah. weren't there people there and they're like hi we're here no well, no in monster hunter world iceborne <laughs> i think there's a point where they literally go this is our home now we need to fight yeah. for our home <laughs> it's sure like, is. it's like okay guys whatever you say dude um but monster hunter rises hub area is really terrific i like how fast you can get around in it mm-hmm. and yes Mike, you were talking about how they made the right decisions in terms of making sure that it ran well on the Switch. And I totally agree with you. I think they implemented the Resident Evil engine extremely well. I think that I like how fast I can just move around the hub. I like that the load times are seemingly really fast and Mm -hmm. that the frame rates are very stable. Admittedly, I'm coming off playing Monster Hunter World on PC at 60 frames per second. That's just a different <laughs> right. experience, you know? Yes. Right. I understand that there are trade-offs, but, you know, I think that if you, when push comes to shove, I, I want Monster Hunter on the most powerful platforms because that game is such a spectacle. Yeah. Especially when you get into some late-game monster stuff, um, which we might get around to talking about in Rise as well, but, like, you look at some of the stuff with, like, Safi Jiva in Iceborne, where uh, that big red dragon that would fly up into the air and, like, drop a supernova on everyone, and the music would cut out, and then there would be that, like, anime flash, and you'd have to hide behind rocks, or you'd all just instantly wipe. That stuff is wild, and not really something that you see a lot of in Rise. Oh, that sounds like a that sounds like a Final Fantasy fourteen trial. Everything's just coming back to Final Fantasy. 14. <laughs> hey, there was a Final Fantasy fourteen um, crossover in Monster Hunter That's World right. that introduced that one of the was. hardest new enemies in that game. Don't oh, you right, fight a Rathalos yeah. or a Rathian in a uh, Final Fantasy fourteen? You did, you yeah. They got a Rathalos. Yeah, do it again. Bring it back. Uh, I, have got a, a I have a Palico in, minion. Uh, Final Fantasy Fort No, sorry, uh, Monster Hunter World got Behemoth from the uh, the first raid. One of the, the toughest King. fights yes. in the game, too. Yeah. Didn't it eat a Devil Ho? Like when it, it that's how it introduced itself. Is it Devil Joe or Devil Ho? Someone please. Devil Joe. Devil, Devil Joe. Joe. Okay. Not it, it for Devil Joe. I've been married a long time ago. <laughs> stop. Stop. Okay. Sorry. Stop yeah. right now. <laughs> But yeah, I just remember seeing the introduction where it eats one of those things, which is like one of the toughest monsters in the series. And it's like, what a hell of an intro, an intro- introduction. 
Mm-hmm. I enjoyed chasing the cactar around. <laughs> oh, right. That was fun. They did a really good job of implementing the Final Fantasy elements into the the bonus quest in Monster Hunter World. Man, I see. I missed that. Now they got to do it again for me. Yeah. Uh, they have definitely, even in the older uh, 3DS games and whatnot, have a history of doing really wacky crossovers. Um, I don't know if any there are any Yamamushi Pedal fans out here, but <laughs> they did a crossover with a sports anime uh, called Yamamushi Pedal once where your uh, Palicos could dress up in like um, Tour de France style like bicycling <laughs> gear. Uh, at wow. various points, uh, yeah, got got really funny. Out of curiosity, what was your favorite monster to fight? And yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it's necessarily like you. Mm, sorry. Out of curiosity, what was your favorite monster to fight? And I wouldn't worry too much about spoilers in terms of mm. the actual monsters. Just don't get into plot details. Mm, gosh, my, I'm I'm I'm. Doing such a bad job remembering the name. Starts with an ace. The one that basically just looks like a T Rex. Oh, it's the, only um, like a f- oh, internet. The purple thing with yeah. the, the hair. I know what you mean. The purple the thing with the hair. The hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that and t- Tigress too. They aren't like super high end uh, monsters, but uh, I I don't know. I like the ones that just look like dinosaurs more so than the ones that look like dragons or just like monster monsters. Uh, I've been hunting that that one a lot lately because I've been almost I almost have a full set. I just need to get a plate, and those plates don't want to drop sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost like it too because it's there's not a lot of gimmicks to that fight. It's just basically a dinosaur who you know he has some attacks. He has a fire breath, but he's not you know doing a he's not shooting. He's not whirling around and shooting bubbles everywhere. What not shooting bubbles? <laughs> That's him. There's a bubble bus. I do love Mizutune. That's it. Yeah, there's a bubble buzz. I do appreciate how the uh, early in the game, the smaller kind of really raptor-looking monsters have are very very feathery. They're really yeah. leaning towards the feathered dinosaur aesthetic, and I think that's that's I the do, proper I, way. I do like that little nerd with his egg. Oh, oh cool, yeah, cool. that little that that jerk. <laughs> My great sword keeps just bouncing off his little egg that he's holding. He looks so happy holding his egg. He's so proud of it. <laughs> the guy from his egg makes world. him invincible. Don't like him. <laughs> the um not to not to get back off topic on Final Fantasy again, but the in the Final Final Fantasy crossover in World, he had an aetherite crystal. Uh, yes, <laughs> and it kept getting bigger. Uh-huh. Oh, that's incredible! He kept that's like eating the ether and getting bigger and bigger and bigger throughout the fight. He got pretty uh, tough too, because you're initially like, "Oh, that guy, I can kick his butt!" Oh my god. No, no. <laughs> Because <laughs> he would never drop it. Like normally in that fight, you you can trick him into dropping the rock because um, your weapon will bounce off of it. But during that fight, he'll never ever drop the etherite crystal. So he's just like basically invincible from the front the entire fight. You just all really make me feel bad about missing this event. Oh, it's good. It sounded great. I was having a tough time initially in Monster Hunter Rise against this stork guy. He's like a a first tier fight, but some of it was I was still learning learning the switch axe, but. He does a little twirling uh, thing with his wing. He also bonks his head into the ground, almost like an (laughs) ostrich or something like that. Uh, It was surprisingly annoying to take out on my own. Yeah, that one's a good one. Um, It's one of the ones that are uh, brand new to Rise that is like based on like Japanese yokai and stuff. Um, Yasunori Ichinose, the director on this game, he was talking about that. I got the pleasure of interviewing him not too long ago, and he oh. was kind of talking about that a little bit. Um, he just really likes um, traditional Japanese architecture and like monster design and stuff like that. Um, and on that note, like I think one of my favorite new monsters in the game, it's really tough to decide, but Gasarag 
is probably one of my favorite ah. ones. Um, which is this big. It's just a guy. It's just a man. Man bear pig. I'm picturing. I'm picturing like a giant naked man. Is that what I'm? Is that what I'm thinking of here? Like, is are, are you just saying he's a guy the way the three year old like refers to everything as a guy? Is it like a human in the way that Mr. Mime is a human? Oh no! He's, stop. Uh, he is perhaps the most Mr. The closest we get to a Mr. Mime in Monster Hunter. He's just like a bipedal, big, hairy Yeti man with like a big Oni face. Wow. Um, that starts off blue and then like the flesh parts of his body as he gets mad start to turn red throughout the fight. Um, and he's great because he um, is an ice-based monster and he will uh, uh, periodically throughout the fight breathe his ice breath onto his arms and make his oh, arms yeah. into giant swords or hammers and start lapping you with them. Um, yeah, when they went, when, like at one point he like has both of them have the icicles. Uh-huh. It's like, oh no, this is bad. And man, hitting hitting those things with my great sword is just so satisfying for some reason. <laughs> it's it's like, yeah, right in the ice arm. <laughs> <laughs> Take yeah. that ice arm. <laughs> you can shatter them. Uh, it's great. Yeah, and it's it's very satisfying. He will sometimes. Um, so many of the monsters have so much personality and like their animations and stuff in this one, but he has this great move where he like just starts like drunkenly spinning with. his <laughs> Blade arms out the whole time, and then finally like ends and on like a three point landing and does the Akira, Akira uh, bike slide nice. thing away Beauty. from you and like looks you in the eyes and is like, "What's up, <laughs> what's up, dumbass?" <laughs> That's right, bitch. I just secured you. <laughs> uh, he's very very good. Um, and then uh, maybe tied with Bishaten for me, the one that throws fruit at you. <laughs> wow. Oh gosh. <laughs> Uh, it, it, uh, all the armor sets from all these guys, they all look so good, too. Like, again, like, like technically, you know, maybe it's not there, but our, our, like the art is just fantastic. Even the music, that's that little doodad they play after you finish a hunt. Man, that sounds good. I get a little mm. I get some happy feels every time. It, it's almost too, like, pleasant considering the vicious carving of <laughs> flesh that I'm doing. But it's great. Um, Stupid newbie question. When they. When you're done a hunt and they start the countdown going back to town, do you ha- can you stop that or do you you have to go back? You have to go back. Um, okay. You can cancel out of the like it takes control of your camera away, but if you hit start, it will cancel out of that and you can start moving immediately. <gasps> okay. I did not know that. Good well, to know. Thank you. Yeah, that's useful. Okay, but you do have to go back to town. They will teleport you. Yeah, they'll teleport you. Um, you can also. I think you can choose to teleport with your crew you, you can basically like vote and like do, ah. do you want to go back to town with your crew do you want to go back to the gathering hub with your crew in world you could just go directly back to the um camp and it would just like put you on an expedition i don't think that's still the case with this one one of the things i will say about rise is you you all were talking about how good the art on the armor is I think that is maybe one area in which Rise has an advantage over World because as much mm. as I liked World, I, I some of the armor sets just weren't that great, in my opinion, and I think Rise is a lot more aesthetically attractive. I think Capcom took that feedback to heart when they were designing the armor sets in this game. There was a little bit of a to-do uh, with Iceborne about some of the weapon designs in, in particular that were yes. um, not, not complete reskins, but they were like... Here's just the basic metal hammer, but we stuck feathers on it, or we, <laughs> we stuck some Jirotota skin on it, or whatever. But you can tell that that's just that weapon. Um, and a lot of people were very, very unhappy about that. I remember the dual blades in particular getting called the chicken drumsticks a whole lot. <laughs> 
because that's what they looked like. <laughs> they kind of did, now that I think uh, about it. But um, I don't think that is the case at all in Rise. I think everything is its own unique model in this one. But one of the problems with Rise, maybe, is that I've seen from a lot of people is that there's basically no endgame right now. Yes. Yeah. I've written about this a good, a good deal, actually. Um... It was a weird situation when I was reviewing this game, actually, when I got to the end and you beat the two like final big monsters of the game and everybody in the village is like, wow, something even worse is right on the horizon. We know that it's coming. We got a warning that says something even worse is coming. Be ready for this big worst thing. I was like, all right, I'm, I got to get ready for this big worst thing. How do I, uh, you know, where is it? How do I, how do I face it? We'll let you know when this big worst thing shows up. It's like, okay. Coming soon. Yeah. What am coming I missing soon. here? Like a sign that says coming soon. Everyone's sitting uh -huh. there checking their watches. I mm -hmm. wish there was a sign that said coming soon because I was looking through the game for like another 15 hours after that and like emailed Capcom. It's like, hey, how do I unlock the final boss that is so clearly signposted in this? Like, where's the, where, how do I get the end game? And then like got a message back and they were like, no, nah, that's it. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> now that's no. it, homie. <laughs> it's funny because like they made a discord for the reviewers right and like right. everyone was talking about that in the discord like oh what 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 uh it was it was a weird trip and then i eventually found like a um tweet on the official monster hunter twitter account that um had a developer interview where they were like oh, we're adding the conclusion to the story in title update two is i believe what they said um and there's a title update one will be coming on uh april 23rd i think so about a month after release um, so did they just run out of time when they're developing the game i gotta think so like covid and also having to meet um, the financial quarter right it's a sonic and knuckles situation <laughs> lock on yeah. technology from lock on technology. <laughs> god i can't believe you fall for that as kids hey, but, it uh, happily me. fell for it happily fell for it uh, World was really good though about uh, they put out that expansion um, Iceborne for, for money but every other new monster, new area new set of weapons, event quest all the gameplay stuff in that game was completely free in those title right. updates and they were very meaty so they've at least built a lot of goodwill to like show me like oh okay well I trust you that you won't like completely screw us all on this stuff <laughs> you're not gonna do an Osiris Wrath again over there at Capcom oh uh, gosh Right now, the end game for me is just like getting like my brothers or whoever else through the lower <laughs> hunts that I've already done anyway. So like I'm still I'm busy. Right. I'm fine. Helping your friends and families is a real end game. I went to my group and I was like, "Yeah, Monster Hunter Rise doesn't really have an end game." And they're like, "Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> By the time we get through the the game, the end game will be here, so we right, can uh, right. get to Same. that." Yeah, I don't think it's as I don't think it's quite as like devastating as say like an mmo not having an an end game and obviously there's a lot of monster Hunter fans who care a lot about that end game i don't know how end gamey i'm going to be but it's still like doing the hunts that are here is still a plenty meaty experience i think yeah yeah as long as the content that follows is free and it comes mm -hmm. at a regular pace i think it'll be fine i do you all want there to be an expansion for Monster Hunter Rise, or should they just move straight on to Monster Hunter World 2? If they didn't do an expansion or a... I, I think they're going to do an expansion because I don't think we're going to see another situation where they do the, like, Emerald-style, you know, Pokemon Emerald or Monster Hunter Ultimate-style things that mm. they used to do, where they just used to reissue the whole same game with the uh, expansion built on it. Um, they can't Iceborne do that the anymore. Game. DLC is a thing. <laughs> yep. 
totally. No more uh, double dipping. Even Pokemon is kind of like, okay, it's, they're just expansions now. We're not going to try yeah. and sell you on Pokemon Axe. Come yeah. on, act. Oh, which, yes. which, for some reason, that makes me sad just because we don't have the fun third name. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I was like I'm still upset there wasn't a Pokemon Grave for Black Pokemon Gun. I was like, it's right there. Pokemon Gun. <laughs> Did you know that I guessed Pokemon Sword and Shield? No, that's way, like my really? big claim to fame. So the day before, yeah, I was like, oh, what's it going to be? And I was like, oh, I guess Sword and Shield. And then it was. And I feel like I deserve Look a medal you. or something for that. A but, prophecy. Good job. Remember but, Pokemon you know. Stars? Oh, oh gosh. gosh! Forever, everyone's like, "It's good to have all of them." It's every region. Wow. Is that Pokemon Rainbow? Is that a different <laughs> weird rumor? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they'll probably definitely do an expansion on this one because it would be the if they didn't, it would be the first Monster Hunter where they haven't done the double dip or expansion in a long, long time. And like you said, Cat, I think we've just moved on. Society has advanced beyond the need for the double dip. Maybe the double dip comes with along with like an upgrade for the Switch Pro, huh? That's what I was just about to say. Ooh. Something, something Switch Pro. Yeah, I'll buy that. Well, if it's anything like Monster Hunter World, I'll be playing this game for the next couple of years, so I can yeah. sit tight, hang out, wait for the expansion to come out as well. So we're running out of time, but I was wondering, can I get final thoughts from you two, Mike? Final thoughts on Monster Hunter Rise. But yeah, this is the one that I'm like, yeah, I really like Monster Hunter now. Like World was like, yeah, this is great and I get this, but I I didn't really become like addicted to it. This one I'm I don't know if I'm addicted, but I'm get, you know, I'm getting chills at night when I'm not playing it. So I'm getting there, I guess. <laughs> right? getting, the, getting the shakes. <laughs> I'm getting the shakes. Uh just one more haunt of like the Buddy Plaza. I got to get the, the training going. Where are my trade routes? Get more honey, honey for my mega potions. Yeah, it's I, I'm really impressed. I think they did a fantastic job bringing this to Switch. I think it's going to be a huge hit too on that platform. I think this is going to be a pretty big sales driver, especially which is a good thing for Nintendo because they don't have too much themselves right now. So I bet they're very happy. About it's funny. This game. It's because between Bravely Default Two and Monster Hunter Rise, I've been playing my Switch more than almost any platform that I have. Mm. Like I haven't turned my PlayStation Five on literally this year. Can but, I have it, wow. please? No, <laughs> mine. It's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be my giant spaceship that's sitting in my closet, and I'm gonna like it. So, <laughs> Stephen, how about you? Yeah, um, I think this is a great game, and I'm excited to have more reasons to play it. As somebody who's already put 90 hours plus into it um, with the end game stuff, um, I, I it definitely has been selling well. I think I saw some uh, headline out there that it um, is outpacing Animal Crossing: New Horizons in the same what? window. It, oh gosh! Well, yeah. I know it shipped four million copies. Okay. So so that's I mean those are guaranteed sales basically physical and then it's whatever it's going to do digital which will right. presumably be even more it'll be nuts. I heard that it was not doing as well as Monster Hunter World though. Oh, interesting. Maybe that was in the UK though. Oh, it's always in the UK. At this point they don't UK. Like is, anything. I'm sorry. UK is probably <laughs> the only place we would have any sales data from right now, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right hard hard numbers probably. I just saw that it was maybe half of what MHW did at uh, launch. Well, it is also a third as many platforms, right? That's right. true. It's not out on PC yet. It's coming to PC ne early next year, I believe. Oh, Monster Hunter World was the best-selling Capcom game of all time when it came out. That's yeah, yes. man. Basically That's saved that company from getting bought, is my understanding. No way. That uh, makes really? a lot of sense. They were in a really bad place, as I recall. Yeah, well, Capcom 
they were having, <laughs> they just hit a nadir at the beginning of the generation. And then they just started reeling off hits again, starting with Resident Evil 7 and continuing right. on to MHW, Resident Evil 2. And now it feels like Capcom is good again. Like there was yeah, that period um, where they were really bad. Then Mega Man 11 came and saved everything for sure. It helped. I think it's so, it actually best selling Mega Man game yet. Hmm. Probably. Although when I look at like the lifetime sales for the sets here, I'm like, oh, that's it. Steven, <laughs> out of curiosity, what is your favorite Monster Hunter game? Uh, it is probably World. I have a real soft spot in my heart for Generations Ultimate too, just because it's so. Yeah, maybe it is all Generations Ultimate because that game is so buck wild. I don't know. Do any of you know what the final boss of that game is? Nope. No. Uh, the final boss of Generations Ultimate is like a giant scarab beetle queen uh, called Atalka, who like shoots out her own sort of silk um, that she s- fires into the ground to pull up like ancient ruins that she then assembles into the shape of a giant megazord like dragon mech. And Holy fights shit. You, <laughs> it fights you inside <laughs> of her mech. And you have to like sever its silk tendons to make it fall apart. And so you can get at her uh, on the inside because she's inside the cockpit attacking you. <laughs> and you have <laughs> That's to fight like- her. George R. R. Martin's sound Sand King story <laughs> up to cranked up to fifty thousand. That's incredible. That's almost as nuts as fighting the Pope in Assassin's Creed. Two. <laughs> <laughs> almost <laughs> the Pope. I'm gonna hit you with my my God stick or whatever you carry around. Sorry, yeah, not the Apple of Eden stick. <laughs> That's a thing. Oh boy. But yeah, uh, World and, and Generations Ultimate are, are kind of tied in my heart for, for different reasons. But uh, I will never forget that Autokaw fight. For, I, ca- I can't imagine days. why. <laughs> you know, it was it was just a very special time in my life. Uh, no other reason. <laughs> Nadia, are you going to stick with Monster Hunter Rise? Oh, yeah, I think so. So far, like, it's um, it's also it's in a good place by being on the Switch, because when when I'm on the PlayStation I want to play Final Fantasy fourteen, but I can't be on the PlayStation all the time because my husband watches a lot of wrestling. So that's when I say that's when I go to the Switch and be like, okay, time for Monster Hunter Rise or Cave Story because I'm still like getting through that too. Did he watch AEW last night? It was so good. Oh, he watches AEW all the time. Oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> he, he always episode. says to me, "It's Wednesday." You know what that means? That's right. Oh yeah. Oh, I like it. <laughs> so yeah, well, he, I give up the TV to him on the Monday, Tuesday, tell, Wednesday. Tell him I was at All In in person. He'll think that's cool. Oh, he will think that's very cool. I'll, have to, I'll <laughs> make sure to tell him. We'll get Yay. Mike, D- Nadia, and David to do an AEW podcast as part of the Blood God Radio Network. <gasps> oh, Ooh. I love it. Well, I oh, have been be, trying oh, to 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 goad Kenny Omega onto the show forever. And oh. so far, he hasn't gotten back to me. <laughs> I, I got to meet him once for a. Uh, actually, at the, the the ESPN headquarters, like that's across the street from the e where E3 is, he was pimping something for Razor or one of those companies. <laughs> I think maybe HP. Yeah. But I got to play him in Street Fighter Five, and he destroyed me. Well, oh, as he, he would should. destroy you. He, he, He's great. Did he play Cody? No, he played. I think he actually played. Um, gosh, what's the big guy from Final Fight? Oh, uh, uh Andre. Not the guy who looks like Andre the Giant, but isn't Andre the Giant? Oh, Andor. Yeah, or Hugo, it. whichever translation. Hugo, you're going by. I think it's Hugo. Yeah, Hugo. He played Hugo and annihilated me. Although I, was I was about to say, oh, he played Abigail. Abigail's Canadian. He has a he has a maple leaf shaved into his head, but he won't say where he's from. I want him to be from Toronto. Oh man, but he yeah he was uh, he was very nice about. It. I mean, he was paid to be nice to me, so I would hope so. <laughs> but he seems like a nice guy. He's a heel right now, though. Oh, of course, he's, he's a been, heel right he's now. Been cheating too much, yeah. 
he blew up the ring. You saw it. Oh god, that was rough. That was that was a rough moment for for an AEW fan. Yeah. That was pretty bad. That's bad. But they recovered nicely. They've had some good shows. Well, I will keep playing Monster Hunter Rise and probably providing random updates on it. I have an actual group this time around. I didn't have a group with Monster oh, Hunter good. World, so I'm very excited. We are in we're right now we're just doing the early content and we're just getting up to the two star monsters. But once we do get up to the two star monsters, we're going to start playing regularly together. We're going to have a regular Monster Hunter night. I'm very excited about that. Oh, that's this. nice. Yeah, I just started the two I just started the two star monster hunt, so I'm excited. Yes, moving up in the world. Okay. That sounds awesome. Steven, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. Mike, please promote something. I will promote uh, 90s Disney, my 90s Disney podcast. Hell yeah. Yes, although for our April episode, we actually covered Universal's Island of Adventures because, you know, it's April, it's wacky, we we don't follow the rules anymore. (laughs) But uh, the next episode for uh, next month, I'm actually going to be talking about the Rocketeer because that's going to be celebrating its 30th anniversary. (sighs) my God. Yes, and uh, the writer of that is actually involved in the gaming industry, so... Really? Hoping, yeah, yeah. He's 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 worked in games uh, after his screenwriting time. So huh. I yeah, saw Rocketeer so. in the theaters. Oh, I'm so jealous! Wow. I didn't discover it till like 2003, I think, and fell in love. It's so good. And Steven, I saw it in Fargo. Oh, did you really? really? I did. Oh, I was, beauty! I was, I was visiting family, <laughs> and my dad took me to see Rocketeer, and we were at the mall, and my dad goes. Are you sure you wouldn't want to go see uh, Terminator 2 instead? And I'm like, hell yeah. I don't, <laughs> seen... I don't know, Dad. I don't I don't think Mom would like that. We should go see Rocketeer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so oh, yeah. I can totally see that. Oh, I was a so very sweet. earnest little girl. So. Oh, that's You should have seen Terminator 2. <laughs> I should have. Hey, you know what? Hey, Rocketeer and Terminator wrong. 2, those are both great choices. Yeah. Exactly. One of them became a giant hit. The other one became a cult <laughs> so classic. Much. Cult classic. That's a wonderful thing. Wonderful movie. Door prize. Steven, promote something. Oh, you bet. Um, besides 99 Potions, you can also listen to me every week on a little podcast called Channel F that we do. Uh, that's a general video gaming podcast uh, where we just kind of talk about what we're playing that week and uh, various other uh, things, answer some questions, and it's a real fun time. It's kind of the my uh, baby over at fanbite.com. Uh, ah. Oh, I was really happy that we were able to do a 99 Potions Acts of the Blood God crossover, and may there be many more in the future. Yeah, I would love to have you on 99 Potions again. That was a great episode. If Wonderful. you ever want me to come on and just yell about Final Fantasy fourteen, I will absolutely do it. You don't understand. <laughs> you know, anybody, any more people we can get over on the Fanbyte um, Final Fantasy fourteen hive to convince everybody else at the website to to play that game, I'm all for it. So you bet. That's so good. Just put up a bat signal. I'll be there in two seconds. <laughs> a cat signal, a little cat head. You bet. I got some near raids to unlock, I think, this weekend. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Gonna gonna see what those are all about. Those are cool. Those are good. But uh, the Ivalice raids were great. I liked those a lot. Yeah, I'm really sorry to Final Fantasy Tactics fans who got their sequel to Final Fantasy Tactics through Final Fantasy XIV. That's, that, <laughs> that, that has to hurt. <laughs> uh, That's actually really guilting me into it. I, I should probably play Final Fantasy Tactics all the way through now, finally. Huh? Dude, play it. It's great. I know. I I did. I, I did when it came out and was too young to really beat it. And I, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy it on the PlayStation Store for my Vita. Before yes. Before I was going to say you got R. two R. months. That that and uh, let us clean together tactics. Yeah, over. I have tactics over, but I don't have I don't have tactics yet. But I have tactics over. 
actually a good reminder for me because I have uh, Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions on my Vita, but I do not have Tactics Ogre on there yet. Oh, so I should, I should get War of too. the Lions. Instead. There's that that a John the what John the Ark is some strategy. John Dark, yeah. 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 I I think maybe need to get that too. It's going to be a spending spree. It's going to be rough because the FOMO is going to be super real. All right. Thanks to Mike and Steven for coming on the show. And now it's time for our March Madness update. Don't go away. Okay, Nadia, it's time for our March Madness update. 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 We are down to the final four. Yes, it's Dragon Quest XI versus Chrono Trigger and Witcher 3 versus Knights of the Old Republic. And that is a great final four, but I think we all know who is going to come out the winner. And sure enough, Nadia, you said, ain't no way that Dragon Quest XI is coming out alive versus Chrono Trigger. And you are right. (laughs) (laughs) That was the easiest guess in history. As of right now, Chrono Trigger is leading Dragon Quest XI 73% to 26%. That's a bit of a massacre. Yeah, yeah. I don't see Dragon Quest XI being able to make a comeback against Chrono Trigger. No, but I am proud of it for getting this far. That's really amazing. It made it all the way to the final four. I was not expecting that. No, it's kind of a dark horse, isn't it? I'm glad for it. And on the Western side, Witcher 3 is currently beating Knights of the Old Republic 69 to 61. Nice. So there's still a chance for Knights of the Old Republic to make a comeback, but it's looking increasingly like we have the matchup that we might have been able to expect all along, which is Witcher 3 versus Chrono Trigger in the finals. I was thinking if KOTOR got this far, it might actually take on Witcher 3 and just... Dis- and- uh, overcome it because again people seem to really be fixated on jedis and lightsabers and bio sh- and uh, bioware uh, but uh apparently apparently not apparently we're gonna get the witcher 3 against chrono trigger and mm, yeah chrono trigger is gonna win chrono trigger will destroy it but <laughs> that's because of our audience honestly i think that if it were up to the general public it would be a little bit closer yeah, so uh, if we do this again, as we said before, probably going to take Chrono Trigger out of the running. It's the greatest RPG of all time. What more do you want? I absolutely agree. But Nadia, I'm curious. If it does end up being Witcher 3 versus Chrono Trigger, that would be our number one RPG and our top 25 RPG countdown versus our number three RPG on our top 25 RPG countdown. So... Is our is Chrono Trigger worth all this hype? Does, does it should it just be waltzing through everything? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it I is mean, just that tight, isn't it? It really is. Uh, I think you could easily call it the tightest RPG ever made, and, and that's the good. That's a good word for it. As much as I loved Final Fantasy VI, it still feels like it's there's so many loose threads in there that you pull it and the whole game falls apart. But Chrono Trigger is just such a nice, tightly sealed package. Uh, not to say it doesn't feel like it's missing content here and there, but in terms of how RPGs t- uh, turned out in those days, yeah, it just feels like nothing else. I think that if you put a gun to my head, I'd rather play Chrono Trigger than Witcher 3, but I have huge admiration for Witcher 3. It really is that good of an RPG. No, absolutely. And I think one thing to consider about Chrono Trigger versus Witcher 3 is time spent because... 
Chrono Trigger, all things told, is a bit of a brisk RPG, unless you really dedicate yourself to finding every single ending like I did when I was a stupid kid. But Witcher 3 is more about that meandering exploration. So it's two very different kinds of RPGs up against each other here. Do you want to pour one out for Dragon Quest XI really quickly? Uh, yeah, let me just pour a, a half my half, half a Diet Pepsi here. I'll just pour it on the keyboard. That'll be great. <laughs> Dragon Quest XI is a very traditional RPG, but very well done. Yes, I am very curious and excited to see what Dragon Quest XII brings us. It's in development. Me too. I wonder if they're just going to kind of stick with the Dragon Quest Eleven feel, except with nicer music. I hope that they bring back interesting stuff like monster catching mm-hmm. and the job classes. One of the things that tra- turned me off of Dragon Quest Eleven just a little bit was the fact that uh, your characters didn't improve appreciably as you got new armor and that kind of thing. And I realized that maybe that's a little bit of a Dragon Quest thing, but... One thing I really liked about Bravely Default too is that every time I got a new class, a job class, I would get new armor, new outfits, that kind of thing. And it really pushed, it really drove home the feeling of progression with my characters. And it was harder to have that feeling in Dragon Quest XI. I do agree with you there. Dragon Quest, uh, sorry, Bravely Default two has such a sense of stacking skills on top of your character until they become this, this tottering tower of weirdness that it's just so much fun to screw around with. Dragon Quest XI is much more linear, much more uniform. And who knows what the next game will bring because Dragon Quest is absolutely a series that does have jobs and it does have that monster catching mechanic. It can really go to wild places if it lets itself. Dragon Quest XI is a game that I would describe as stately. (laughs) Yes, it's very stately, very proper. Regal. It's an extremely regal game. Even though I hate the main character's 1990s haircut. <laughs> 19, uh, yeah, that's a good way to describe it, isn't it? There's that haircut. It's so, uh, it is so very 90s. It's the mid 90s. What's the deal? It's like 1995 grunge haircut. Grunge, that's the word. Totally <laughs> like uh, you're at a Kurt Cobain concert in between saving the world. Our friend Ash was like, I love his haircut. And I'm like, no, no. When I, <laughs> I play as uh, the hero a lot in Smash Brothers. He's one of my favorite characters. And I always pick the Dragon Quest Three skin versus the Dragon Quest Eleven skin. Yeah, I love that Dragon Quest Three look. It's so classic. I mean, uh, God bless Ash. He would say nice things about a Balrog. So maybe he's just being nice. <laughs> I'll be sure to pass that along to him. Please do. <laughs> All right, Nadia. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks to everybody for listening. As always, once again, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the podcast of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash catbaileytv. And Acts of the Blood God is on all of your favorite social media channels, specifically Twitter and Instagram, where we keep them updated, or at least the Twitter feed. If you haven't signed up for our Patreon yet, what are you waiting for? Patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. We have so many amazing exclusive podcasts for our followers we will be back next week as always to talk more about the genre that we love that would be rpgs but until then for nadia myself and also mike and steven thanks for listening and happy adventuring (laughs) 